I'd like to bring a message tonight titled, How to Watch. We'll be looking at uh, several passages. I'm, I've got Brother Kilgard handing out a, it's just a handout there with a, a lot of the scriptures that we'll be looking at tonight with a few things highlighted that will make it a little bit easier for you to follow along there. But let's begin reading in Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here? And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled. And then the Lord then begins to tell them of the things that range throughout the rest of this chapter, from the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. He tells them of their own persecutions that will end up taking place all the way down until we come to the second coming. Can you imagine being these disciples? First, they're excited. They want to tell Jesus about, look at the Look at the temple, look at these buildings, how wonderful they are. And then they find out that they're all going to be tore down. And then they, uh, they say, uh, these, these three, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, go privately. They're like, Lord, tell us, when are these things going to happen? And, and when will be the sign that all these things will be fulfilled? And uh, Jesus doesn't really completely answer their question and he ends up telling them things that they didn't ask about. For example, that they would be persecuted and they would be taken before rulers and judges and persecuted and so forth. And then more things about what will happen to Israel, to the world and so forth. And now let's go down to Mark chapter 13, later in the passage, verse 24. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. So in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, which now includes us, he says, watch. So the title of the message tonight is How to Watch. As I began looking at these passages that we'll be considering, we'll be considering several passages, uh, the real theme of the message began to change. I, I first began considering how um, 
it is, you know, the last couple messages that I've brought um, concerning the generation that we live in, the age that we live in, and so forth, um, and the coming judgment of God upon this world that is coming. One of the things that stood out to me that I didn't mention in my other messages and I began to dwell on is how long-suffering God is. And it began all the way back in the beginning, before the flood. God, it, the scripture in First Peter, will look at it, but it talks about how God was long-suffering in waiting for the ark to be built. And then oh, how God is uh, long-suffering even today. And how many times it is that people stress themselves and concern themselves and I don't know what God is waiting for. I just don't see how God could put up with these things and there's all these different things how people talk about it. And uh, God's not worried. God's not wringing His hands. Everything is on a timetable. And, but God is long-suffering. And these things, I began to dwell on these things, in it, but as I began to study this message, I really began to realize that what I wanted to focus on tonight is how we need to watch. The emphasis that the Lord closed this passage with was repeatedly. He talks about watching. He, we're commanded to watch ye therefore. And then what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. And I want to talk tonight about how it is that we should be watching. I just want to point out a few things. We'll be looking at several passages, and really I guess this is a topical message. Um, but bear with me as we go through this. Uh, as like the apostles, when they said, tell us, when shall these things be, and what is the sign that these things are come, going to come to pass? Now that was concerning the temple and the buildings being destroyed. But they were like that, um, even as we'll see in Acts chapter 1. Lord, are you now going to restore the nation to Israel? They wanted to know when. They were always, and, and when they said that they wanted to know when these things are taking, going to take place, they also said, and what will be the signs when they do take place? And we're also that way. It's one of the things that we're all clamoring to know. Saved and really lost alike. They know that we're in the last days. I have had lost people say, oh, you're a preacher. So, so what do you think about what's going on? Do you think we're in the last days? And they're not even professing Christians. Um, and so people know that what is going on right now is different. We're entering a stage of human history that um, even lost people, if they're familiar with the Bible at all, they know that surely... We're entering the last days, or we're in the last days. And so then they want to know what I think about it. And I always try to point them to, listen, your primary concern is not to be concerned with events. Your primary concern is, are you ready? Uh, Brother Kilgard and I were talking to a man at Brother Berg's house one night, and he, he, said, he literally said that. He goes, so you both are preachers. Uh, what do you think about what's going on? Are we in the last days? And we agreed, yes, oh yeah, definitely, we're most definitely in the last days, but he was really involved in politics. And he believed that we're in the last days too. If you really, really believe that we're in the last of the last days, why are you so wrapped up in politics? Don't you know how this ends? Don't you know that the Lord is coming back and that he's going to set up his kingdom and that the Republican Party and the Independent Party and the Democratic Party and, and the Russian government and all those are going to crumble here really quick and uh so if we're really in the last days 
why are you so wrapped up in that versus spiritual things? And so um, this is people are consumed with this today, and it doesn't mean that they're saved just because they're interested and fascinated with last days. A fascinating thing happens when a person is born again, when a person is saved. We who have been born again, we know this firsthand. We change from someone who is simply being an earth dweller with all our hopes and dreams consisting of relationships here on this earth, possessions that are here on this planet, and then entertainment and what can I suck out of life? How can I maximize every day? This is the way I was before I was saved when I was young. It was like every day I had to squeeze every last ounce out of every day and maximize my joy and my entertainment. And in some ways I was borderline adrenaline junkie, you know, whether it was snowmobiling, did it to the max, snowboarding, even though I wasn't that great, I tried to do it to the max. Um, Mountain bike racing, just go and go and go and do and I was the kind of person that I didn't care about possessions. I, I didn't live in a nice house. I wasn't like my friends. I didn't care about video games and entertainment centers. And, and um, truth be known, the last year uh, before I was arrested, most of you know I went to prison for a while because of my lifestyle led me a certain way. Um, I just slept on a mattress with a sleeping bag. I was not a materialistic person. I was consumed with how much I could do and how much fun I could have. And so all of my, my life was consumed with experiencing life to the fullest. And it was all out there, outside the walls of my house. <laughs> but different people are different and they have their thing. Some people live for their possessions. Everybody has their thing that they're trying to distract themselves with and entertain themselves with. And sometimes it's their family and so forth. But when we're saved, we go from being consumed with the things of this world and this life because that's all we have we have no future outside of this life and when we're saved we now begin to uh, uh, look at the world different we now have an eternal perspective we know that there's more to life than just what's here we also believe that this world unlike most of the lost people today that it's not billions of years old and it's not going to cease to exist when global warming cooks it to such a degree that the entire planet is like the Sahara Desert and it won't sustain human life anymore in another, you know, however many thousands of years it'll take to get there. And so people are consumed with, you know, everything they think about is just about this planet. But we know that the Lord is coming back as the children of God. And we know that there is such a thing as the second coming. And uh, we know how God is going to wrap this world up one day. Our world outlook changes when we're born again. Amen. How we view the world, it just, it just changes. And so we're walking side by side in this world with people who don't view things the same as we do. And so we are to be, when we're saved, we become a watchful people. We become a people now... Who, if we believe in the second coming, we believe that the Lord could come back tonight. Well, that's a drastic. My life on planet Earth could be over tonight. Not just if I die. Well, that's different than lost people. That's a whole nother. I mean, that's just a whole nother uh, element to living is understanding that 
the Lord could return tonight, and I'm supposed to be watchful, and that's what's in this passage. And so Christians are, the world is lost, they're in darkness, and they're asleep. And yet, we are different. We're to be watching. And so, there's a thing, though, with the Christians, I'm afraid, that too many of us are watching, and we're not watching properly. We as Christians have become so consumed by this thing that, oh, we get worried. I have talked to so many Christians in the last three to five years that are almost in a state of panic over the current way things are. And I, and I wonder, well, you do believe that the Lord is coming back, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, of course they do. But... The fact that the Lord is coming back doesn't give him peace. And sometimes that gives me a little bit of, I'm concerned about that. Why don't you want, see, a lot of Christians are not excited about their life as they know it right now being over. Yeah. A lot of Christians right. are actually having too much fun. Right. They actually really like their cars a little bit too much. They hang on to their possessions just a little too tightly. They hang on to their relationships just a little bit too tightly. They're not watching. And, oh, or if they are watching, they're watching out of fear. Because if the Lord does come back, they're going to lose. In their mind, they're going to lose whatever it is that they have. And so, there's a lot of watching that is going on in a wrong way. Um, I want to look at some ways that I think Christians also make mistakes with how it is that they're watching. Being so, the first one is being so consumed with the timing of the Lord's return. I believe is our first mistake. We can become too concerned with when the Lord's coming back versus be watchful and know that he's coming back. And are the signs there? I was thinking about this as we were driving to church. The Lord gave us signs. And he said several times, when you see this, you will know. When you see this, we're getting closer. We know that we're closer because of the signs that the Lord has given, and a lot of them have come to pass. We know how it has been told how things will be in the last day, and we can look at that and we can know. But is that meant to um, uh, build our faith or give us worry? I believe the signs should give us, just increase our faith that God's word is true. Everything he said would come to pass is coming to pass. It's not a cause of worry. It's not a cause of stress. It's a cause of, man, my God was right on the money. Once again, the Bible is actually right. How in the world did those people who wrote that book, if it's just the writings of man, know that things were going to happen the way that they've happened? And so the signs should build our faith and increase our hope. But at the same time, not have us an escapist mentality because after all we are put here to do a job and to work and we'll get into that a little bit later another mistake we make as christians well getting back to the consumed with the timing is we're going to see several times it said over and over and over that nobody knows the angels don't know human beings don't know And when Jesus was saying that, he said, and even the Son of Man doesn't know, but only the Father which is in heaven. We just read that in Mark. Oh, he says uh, in Mark, uh, I have it in bold there, verse 32, but the day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. My brother Kilgard and I got to talking about this yesterday when we were out on the boat, and 
You know, we human beings, our, our minds are so small, so small, that it's impossible for me to conceive how it is that Jesus, the Son of Man, who is also the Son of God, did not know. He says, only the Father knows. I'm not going to get into that, but I'll let you think about that some more. But it does speak to the fact that how much did the Son of God give up to come here and take on flesh so that he could save us? That's why he came here was to save us. And he gave up so much when he left heaven that his Father knew and he didn't know yet. I think Jesus knows now. (laughs) But when he was there, he told them, the Son of Man doesn't know the hour. It's only in the Father's. Only the Father knows that. Um, that's, that's what it says. Um, so, if no man knows and is going to know, when we look at the signs, it's not so we can nail down an exact time as to when this is going to happen. But for us, just to inc- our faith to be increased and to keep being watchful. Another mistake we make as Christians is we look at the signs the Lord did give us. Uh, the wickedness of the world... We see the condition and the wickedness of the world, and then we make these statements that I've already alluded to, such as, I don't know how God could wait any longer. It's so bad out there. How bad could it get before God says enough is enough? Well, for one, that's not how God works. You know, God isn't waiting for things to get to a certain point before he pulls the plug on it. Jesus said, the Father has a time in mind. The time is set. God's not waiting for things to get to a certain degree and he just can't take any more, so he's finally going to do something. No. We're just waiting. We are just waiting for God's timetable to to come to pass. And uh, so, you know, but people talk about these things. I just don't know what God's waiting waiting for. God's not waiting on anything. Do we really grasp that? That God's, God's not waiting for anything. Oh, And so we get to thinking that, well, there's no way, there's just no way um, that, you know, the world's still going to be going on in the, you know, continuing on in in the year 2100. There's just no way. I mean, most of you probably don't think that, right? It's just getting too crazy. I mean, there's no way. I mean, surely the Lord's coming back before, before 2050. Well, I remember in the late 80s listening to my grandparents and people talk, about who were saved, talking about, I, I just don't see, I mean, the Lord, I don't see, he would be raptured, you know, 2020, or the year 2000, that was way out there, you know, that was science fiction, that was, <laughs> I mean, isn't that how we think as humans, like, surely, surely the Lord's not going to wait till 2000, well, here we are in 2023, and, uh, oh, we don't know. We're not to know. It's in God's time. God's not in a hurry. Um, he knows exactly what he's doing. And uh, as I already mentioned, we underestimate. We know God was long-suffering in our salvation. God was merciful to us, and he was long-suffering to us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But we kind of put a limit on the long-suffering of God when we view how things are and what God should be doing. You know, God needs to hurry up. You know, like, this is getting really bad. But God is long-suffering. And we underestimate how long-suffering God really is. Consider this. I already mentioned long-suffering of God in the days of Noah. 
But when did God make his declaration as to how wicked man was? That his thoughts were only evil continually? That Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord? Right? Well, um, it was before the ark even began to be built. Man had already reached that point of wickedness. God did not destroy man before the flood when it got as bad as it could possibly get. It got bad as, as bad as it could possibly get. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then it took, some say 54 years. They have their reasons for it. Some say 90 years. And some say 120 years to build the ark. Well, if our society today is as bad as it could get, well, technically God could wait 54 or 120. You see what I'm saying? Um, God's not in a rush. God has a time in mind when he's going to do all these things. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 1. Let's go ahead and look at some scriptures. I just say all those things just to kind of, by way of introduction, how we talk about things, how we tend to think, and so forth. But, you know, God, God is not wringing his hands. He, we have to understand God is not like us. Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. Once again, this is the, the Lord's apostles. And, and you can just go to the handout now, the scriptures that we'll be looking at. Um, the one there at the top, Acts 1, 6, When therefore they were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of, to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now keep in mind, I just want to point this out now and then we'll go continue on. The Lord, in talking to the apostles, remember he had just told them to watch. You know not when the Son of Man comes? To watch. And he told them a lot of things that were going to take place. And yet he still says, watch. It was their responsibility to watch. The gospel was to go into all the world. There's other passages that speak about it going um, into all nations. The gospel being preached in all nations. Those are things that had to be fulfilled. And yet, I believe that that early generation, that early church generation, they still watched. I believe that they, you know what I'm saying? And so regardless of how much we think has or hasn't been fulfilled, or exactly how we think things are going to play out, because we don't know all the details about how it's going to happen, we have a responsibility to watch and be expecting the Lord could come at any time. And I believe that they behave that way somewhat. But he's telling them that they're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. And yet I believe they were still supposed to watch um, while they were doing that. And when he had spoken these things, while, he be, while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And so here we have the return. We have them asking the question, Are you going to establish the kingdom to Israel? the nation of Israel, 
But this passage concludes with the promise of the Lord's second coming. As you saw him go up, he'll come back. And I believe that the apostles early in their life, even though they knew they had a task, and they'd been given the great commission, and they were to go into all the world, and it would take a lot. It's been taking for 2,000 years. It's been taking a lot to get the gospel into all the world. But I believe that they still, they still thought the Lord might come back just like they with their own eyes had seen him go. They thought that he might come back um, in the same way maybe in, the, in their life. And so we have a responsibility to be watchful. I just want to know a few things concerning this passage. I want us to know that it is a fact I believe this helps our faith. This helps with understanding what our future looks like as the people of God concerning the second coming of Christ. It is a fact that the Lord will restore the kingdom to Israel. I believe it's a fact. Amen. The question is, when? The question here wasn't, will you? It's, will you at this time restore the nation to Israel? And I think it's important to notice how Jesus answered. Now, for argument's sake, let's pretend that the Lord is done with Israel. And I'm saying pretend. Let's pretend that the Lord is done with Israel. Consider how dishonest Jesus Christ would have answered them if the Lord really was done with Israel. And he knew that he wasn't going to reestablish the nation to Israel. If he would have answered it this way, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. That's dishonest. Because when they said, wilt thou at this time restore the nation to Israel? If he wasn't going to, he would have said, that's not actually going to happen. But he didn't say that. He said, it's not for you to know the time or the season. And so um, I look at that as one of the evidences that... He's going to reestablish the nation of Israel. And he's going to do it when the the two men who stood by him in white apparel said as he went up, that's how he's coming back. I believe when he's coming back is when he's going to establish the nation to Israel. Um, Let's say in my business, my employee manual said that all employees will eventually become part owner. Then sometime in the first year, I changed my mind, but I didn't tell anybody about it. See, In the Word of God, there's promises to Israel that haven't taken place yet. So this is like my employee manual, right? It says, after you're here, I don't say when, but as of being an employee, eventually you'll become part owner. But then I changed my mind. I'm like, whoa, whoa, that that was a dumb idea. You know, I no, I'm not going to do that. But I don't tell anybody. And so after the first year, my first new employees... Um, they come to me and they say, so how many years do we, after, how, how long do we have to work here before we become, become part owners? If I was to say, it is for uh, me to know and for you to find out. That's basically what Jesus is saying here, right? It's, it's not for you to know the time or the season. Only my father knows that. And if I was just to, but if, but if I was just to say it's for me to know and you to find out, that would be extremely dishonest. That's right. Right? And God's not dishonest. Right. And so, I believe if he wasn't coming back to restore Israel, then he would have just told them so. And so then, the next thing I want us to know in this passage, just a simple fact, just what the scripture says here. 
He said, it is not for us to know the time or the seasons. That's just a simple fact. It's not for us to know the time or the seasons. And so, um, before I go on to our other passages, I just want to state, based on several scriptures, that there is a time of judgment at the second coming when he establishes his reign on earth. There will be, basically, there will be a military invasion from heaven by Christ Jesus with all his saints, the armies of heaven. This has been prophesied since the beginning of the world, as stated in Jude. Jude quotes Enoch there. when he, Jude, or Enoch said, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment and so forth. Well, then if we go over to Revelation 19, in verse 11, I'll just read this. It says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I believe when it talks about here him ruling the nations with the rod of iron and so forth, this also relates back to what we saw there in, uh, in Acts chapter 1. Um, go Look in your handout there where it says Matthew 24. Let's look at a few of the... Of the scriptures, as we as we move on and we begin to look at how to watch, there are some passages sometimes that we fall in the trap of, I believe, trying to figure out the time and we compare things and see to see whether or not um, we're really living in that age or if things could get worse and so forth. Um, and uh, but let me just read these these two passages. Uh, so the the printout there, Matthew twenty four thirty six says, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And then Luke seventeen twenty six. Um, it's the same, same passage, but a few things are, are stated differently. It says, uh, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, and they married wives, and they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, drink, and drank, and bought, and sold, and planted, and built but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And he goes on to tell how one will be left and another taken and, and so forth. Oh, <clears throat> As we look at um, these two passages here, um, ironically, the passages that I just read in Matthew and Luke are often used by us to try to determine how close we are to the Lord's return. Um, I have even done that. I've had discussions with people talking about, well, 
We're not necessarily living in the days of Sodom. I mean, it, it was worse in the days of Sodom. It, has, it still has a ways to go until it gets as bad as it was in the days of Noah. We're not quite where it was in the, in the days of Sodom. Um, I have also, myself, preached a message. The title of it, of the message was, As It Was. And I looked at, as it was in the days of Sodom and so forth, and so shall it be. And I completely misapplied this passage. Just being honest, this passage is not to be comparative of how bad, how wicked it was then, and how wicked it is going to be today. I want to look at this passage and what it actually, I believe, it's actually speaking of. Now, earlier in this chapter, in Matthew and Luke, and in Peter, and in in other um, passages, it does talk about in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves and pleasures, and and uh, that because iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold, and and it talks about how wicked and more society would become more and more and more wicked. I've preached that plenty of times from this pulpit. You know that's that's what I believe. But this particular passage is not talking about. It's not t- comparing as wicked as it was in Sodom. That's how wicked it will be in the days of the Son of Man. I want to go through and let's take a, take a look at this. First, let's notice it's talking about the day. It's comparing the day. Note the phrase, until the day Noah entered the ark. Or until the day Lot went out of Sodom. Um, this is similar to the passage or the, the message pastor preached this morning concerning Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar was on the brink of destruction. That night, he was going to die. His, the armies were outside his city walls. And he's in there drinking and partying and carrying on, not knowing that his existence was going to come to an end. That's not a time to party. That's how it was in Sodom. And that's how it was in the days of Noah. They were doing all these things until the day that the destruction came. That's the emphasis here in this passage. In Genesis 7-11, this is how specific the Word of God is and how God's timing is. In Genesis 7-11, it says, concerning when the flood happened, when the rain started to fall, it says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, it didn't just say in the 600th year of Noah, it began to rain. No, it was in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. What that means is that on the 600th year and the second month and the 17th day of the month, it did not begin to drizzle. And the people were like, oh, we've never seen drizzle before. Maybe Noah was right. And then after three days in, pretty soon there was occasional thunderstorms and people got bonked on the head with hail. No, that's not how it worked. The warnings had come. Noah had preached year after year after year, warning people of the wrath of God and the judgment that was to come. And man continued to party and marry plan for the future. The world's going to continue as it's always continued. Uh, Peter talks about that, uh, how that man today doesn't want to recognize that the world that was, was destroyed because they want to still live how they want to live. 
but the earth was destroyed in a day. It came and then it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but the destruction and the death that came upon that society happened in a day. As it was in the days of Noah, in a day they were destroyed. Um, Jesus Christ, also, as it was in the days of Noah, Jesus Christ is coming back in a day. It will not take him a year of battle to do nation. It's not going to be, when he comes with the armies of heaven, it's not, what I'm saying is it's not going to take a year for him to be able to defeat the armies of the earth right. and set up his kingdom. <laughs> He's coming in a day. And the judgment, it is a day of judgment. And, uh, um, and uh, going on, the next thing I want us to notice in this passage is this passage is pointing out the behavior and attitude of those before they were destroyed. Notice this, I'll just read these excerpts. Matthew twenty four thirty eight. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Luke 17, they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. In Sodom it says they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. It is as they, it's not describing the full wickedness of those societies. There's no mention here of sodomy, the sin that actually was taking place, and how horrible that society was. That's mentioned in other scriptures. Oh, it doesn't go into the great detail here about before the flood, the violence and everything that took place. It doesn't talk about that here. It talks about the same exact behavior and mentality of the people was they went full on into the judgment of God that fell in a day, planning their lives, giving their children away to be married, with building, um, and so forth. Starting families, strong emphasis on retirement accounts. Capitalism was alive and well in Sodom. Um, the housing market was on fire. I mean, it was like Post Falls. I mean, the, the price of property was going up. It says that they were, they, were, uh, they were doing all these things. They were buying and selling, and they were building. So... The, the, the city limits of Sodom was expanding and it was thriving and, and everything was going on. Lots of building going on. And so that's what it's trying to point out here. Um, the, comp, the comparison factor is missing. And that's because it's not the point of emphasis in this particular passage. I'm just using this to point out that sometimes we, we look at a passage... And um, it's easy to do. I've done it. We look at a passage without really thinking about, because it fits how we want to look at this world, and it's just another example of how things are going and so forth, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Sodom. But it's really speaking more to what's frightening is comparing it to our society and how man has no concept that judgment is coming. Right. And man has no concern about God. Right. And everything's going great. And yeah. Wall Street's doing okay. Right. And the world's more concerned about getting rid of COVID so it can get back to being financially successful. And we need our computer chips that are made in Taiwan. And the biggest problem with China invading Taiwan is not the people of Taiwan. America's concerned because if, if China goes into Taiwan... We're going to be in a world of trouble. Like our cell phones and our computers and our society as we know it could be in a real problem because almost all the computer chips in the world come out of Taiwan and India. So man is focused on the wrong things. 
Um, most of the time when he's concerned about war and, and what's going on, it's how it will affect us economically. Russia invades Ukraine. It's not about the humanitarian crisis and all that. The biggest problem with Europe and those countries over there is how are we, how are we going to get, if, if we impose sanctions, we do, I mean, how are we going to get oil? You know, and the, this is going to cost us and the relationships between nations and the economic impact. And man's not concerned with righteousness or right and wrong or ethnic cleansing and all that. If they were, they'd be going into Africa and trying to stop what's going on over there or other places on the planet. And so man is completely blind to what his real need is, just like he was before the flood. And then also the emphasis of this passage is the suddenness of the judgment. The suddenness, I already referred to it, but it speaks of in a day. But it mentions specifically in one of these passages, it says, and the people before the flood, it says, and they knew not until the flood came. That's a frightening thing. Man should be, lost people should be scared to death, but they don't know the judgment that is coming. They knew not until the flood came. And then it was too late. It's too late. And so, um, our society really is in a desperate situation. I was watching a video of the earthquake. I don't know how many of you noticed or heard about the, the earthquake in Morocco that happened yesterday. It was a horrible earthquake. And uh, it was only 6.8. I mean, it's big. It's not one of the biggest. But there's 2,100 people already have been killed and many, many others injured. And they don't have any idea how many... And it was in the, close to the capital city. There hadn't been a bad earthquake there in 100 years. And I was watching, there's video, and I was watching the videos, and it shows people in cafes and stuff, and um, glass shattering and everything, and b- things crumbling. And, and you just think, you know, some of those people, you see them escaping, but as I'm watching, those people are escaping at that exact moment, because it happens instantly, you know. At, at that moment, 2,100 people died. You know, and they're going about, they woke up that morning to go out to eat on vacation from Europe. It's a, you know, place where it's warm and people go there. And, and there was a woman from England that was being interviewed. She was staying in her hotel and, you know, it's just, it's horrible. And that's how quickly the judgment of God comes, will, will come though. I'm not speaking about this. I'm saying that's how quickly though yes. the judgment of God can come where you wake up in the morning and you got all your plans and you're dead. And, and so... Um, that's how it's going to be at, when the Son of Man comes at the second coming. And man has been warned. There's lots of warning. There's lots of preachers. We need to be warning people. And so you may be wondering, well, how is all this going to help me know how to watch? Well, I just want to conclude with some simple, simple thoughts. Um, as Christians, let's not be like the world. Don't be like the world. We just saw how they were in the days of Sodom and they were in the days of Noah. Let's be more like Noah, (laughs) right? Let's not be quite so much like Lot and his wife, but let's be like Noah and believe God and act. God has told us what to do. God told Noah what to do. He did what he was supposed to do. God has told us judgment's coming. We're safe in him, but he's told us what to do. In the meantime, how we're supposed to be doing it. Let's not be like the world. They're concerned with the things of the world, the materialism, the politics, the eating and drinking and making merry, uh, concerned with how to best entertain themselves and so forth. Let's not, let's not be of that mindset. Um, and then how to watch? Don't be caught off guard. One of the biggest emphasis when the Lord 
talks about watching is being caught unawares. We need to live as though the Lord could come at any time. And if we live as though the Lord could come at any time, and we're watch, if we're watchful, it's actually going to curb our sinful living. If we're truly watch, if we're truly watchful, and we care, we're not going to be wanting to do the things that, you know, if, if we think about, not only is the Lord watch, but the Lord could return. And we need to be active. We need to be doing. We want to be faithful when He comes back. But don't be caught off guard. It should not surprise you. I don't care what your stand is on eschatology. I care whether it's whether you believe in the millennial reign or not. But if you're pre-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, listen. What is important is that you're watchful and you're ready. And whatever your belief is, you have to understand there's, there has to be a margin for error because you're an ignorant human being. And these things are not clearly laid out. And so if we're to be watchful, then that means that I have to expect that he could come tonight. Well, if I believe that, then I kind of have to be pre-trib, right? It's just pretty simple that if we're to be watchful, then and, and so forth. Um, Matthew 24, 42. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and he would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Watch therefore, and be ye also ready. And now this is the most sobering passage. To me, this is the most convincing passage about how we have to be ready for the imminent return in that sense. It's because it says, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. So, if I think not that he could come tonight, he might come tonight. I mean, it's not complicated, right? In such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. So, I have to be able to be ready. But if you should happen to find yourself in the tribulation, I'm just saying for argument's sake. You're watchful. Don't lose your faith. Don't freak out. I must not be saved. Well, maybe you just didn't understand. Maybe you missed a few things. Be watchful. If you end up, and I'm saying all this hypothetically, if you end up in the last part of the tribulation, be watchful and be looking because he's still coming regardless the lord is coming and oh and he's he's going to return as he has said he's going to return and so um just like the apostles in the early church were watchful but there were some things that had to be fulfilled but they were watchful and the lord's saints were supposed to be watchful for the last 2000 years even though we know the nation of israel still had to be reestablished there's a lot of things that had to play out the gospel hadn't gone out into all the world but now it has we could check a lot of boxes that they couldn't check, but they were still required to be watchful. We need to be watchful. And so, be watchful and be faithful. This is my final thought. We need to be faithful. Matthew twenty four forty five. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? 
Blessed is the servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. While we're waiting for the Lord to return, and it could happen tonight, while we're waiting, let's be a faithful witness. The Lord is long-suffering. And there are still people that need to be saved. So we need to be... The Lord hasn't come. That that means we need to be a witness. Um, The Lord has put us in a church. We need to be faithful in our church. The Lord has given us family. We need to be faithful in our responsibilities to our families. And we have other responsibilities that we have. We need to be faithful in all those responsibilities. Whether we think the world is going to last another five years, whether we think it could last another 50, or it could last another 100 It doesn't matter how long. We need to be faithful. And so if that means providing for our family and providing a house and providing, and we're not to live like idiots. Be responsible. Live for the Lord. Be faithful in our responsibilities. And uh, I believe that the Lord will bless us. We need to be a watchful people. And as, as we think about these things, it's not, we need to be watchful in a hopeful sense. Not a sense of panic. Don't worry about what's going on. It'll be all right. The Lord's coming back. Yeah.